Good evening, and thank you for joining us. Our topics tonight include a summary of the FBI director testimony on the January 6th riot. We then dive into a discussion on Dr. Seuss's books being canceled in a new wave of the progressive culture storming the United States. And after that, we discuss a short update on Cuomo, as a third accuser is reported. And his brother Chris Cuomo says he will not be covering Andrew Cuomo's scandal. And last, we will be discussing some updates regarding the CCP's actions in Hong Kong and what the Florida government is doing to combat the CCP's influence amid Biden's soft approach to China. Just on Tuesday, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified in Congress. And just as the Capitol is still on lockdown, 54 days and counting, he described the breach of the Capitol on January 6th as domestic terrorism during a Senate panel hearing on Tuesday. Ray told senators, it's got no place in our democracy and tolerating it would make a mockery of our nation's rule of law. And he also said that siege was criminal behavior, plain and simple, and it's behavior that we, the FBI, views as domestic terrorism. The FBI, however, did not have the credible threat reports of a pre-planned attack on the U.S. Capitol. Is it fair to say as director of the FBI, you were not informed of the raw intelligence coming from the Norfolk office, is that correct? Not before January 6th. Okay. So this was an internet posting that somebody captured? My understanding is that this was uh, information posted online uh, under a moniker or a, a pseudonym. Uh, it was unvetted, uncorroborated information, but it was, uh, and it was somewhat aspirational in nature, but it was concerning. It was concerning and was specific enough that we, That's our folks in Norfolk, thought the need to get it out, even if we hadn't had a chance to, to corroborate or vet it. Ray and other law enforcement agencies have faced criticism and questions for why authorities were so unprepared for the breach. And the acting chief of the Capitol Police said that on January 5th, report from the FBI was handed to investigators in the police force and to the agency's intelligence unit, but wasn't sent up the chain of command. To which Senator Lindsey Graham later asked the FBI director, whether the following are domestic terrorism organizations. Is the Proud Boys, are they a domestic terrorist group? Uh, well, I don't think we have treated the Proud Boys itself as a domestic terrorism group, but we certainly have individuals. What does it take to make the list? Well, there is, uh, uh, as you may know, uh, Senator, uh, under federal law, under U.S. law, there is no uh, list of domestic terrorism organizations the same way there is for foreign terrorist organizations. Well, let's, let's th think about that in the next 47 seconds. <clears throat> Oath Keepers, are, are they a domestic terrorist organization? We ha Again, as with Proud Boys, we have individuals who okay. associate themselves with that Was group Antifa who are domestic a terrorist. domestic terrorist organization? Same thing, same answer? Same answer. So why don't we think about how to gather better information and expose some of these groups. If they were on a list, would it make it easier for you? I think the issue of whether or not to designate or, or have a formal mechanism for designating domestic terror uh, groups uh, in the same way we do with, say, Al-Qaeda or ISIS, I think that, uh, there's reasonable debate about whether or not it would really the, advance the KKK the a domestic terrorist group? Well, there is no uh, okay. legal designation for that, domestic terror. My point is, I don't know if we should have one or not, but I think it's time to think about it. 
In the hearing, Ray continued to say that so far, about 300 people have been arrested by the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, and more people are being charged with crimes related to the Capitol breach nearly every day. As well, Ray suggests that he does not so far know of Antifa involvement, yet the video evidence that has already surfaced last month and in January suggested otherwise, including this guy. As well, Ray could not disclose the cause of the death of Officer Brian Sicknick. Uh, so I'll take the last part of your question first. There is an ongoing investigation into his death. Um, I have to be careful at this age, because it's ongoing, not to get out in front of it. But I certainly understand uh, and respect and appreciate the, the keen interest in what happened to him. After all, he was here protecting all of you. Uh, and as soon as there are information that we can appropriately share, uh, we want to be able to do that. But at the moment, the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, so does that mean since the investigation is going on, you have not determined the exact cause of the death? Uh, that means we can't yet uh, disclose a cause of death at this stage. But you have determined the cause of death. I, I didn't say that. We're not at a point where we can disclose uh, or confirm okay. a cause of death. Now, the initial claim suggested that he died from being struck by a fire extinguisher to the head, which later was refuted by his mother as she believed Brian died of a stroke. And the officer's death has been pushed by the left narrative as to enhance the point of Trump inciting domestic terrorism. But as we know now, the case is not so. On our second topic today, I wanted to cover this topic because it's very important to me personally, but I also think it's generally a good idea to talk about. And it's the news that Joe Biden removed mentions of Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Day. And this is amid accusations of racial undertones in the classical, whimsical tales for children. That and six Dr. Seuss books, according to Seussville, the company that preserves the author's legacy, will be stopping the publishment of those books because of racist and insensitive imagery. And these include the books And To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo. Dr. Seuss Enterprise in a statement says, seizing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprise's catalog represents and supports all communities and families. The other books affected are McElligot's Pool, Ambient Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. The decision to seize publication and sales of the books was made last year after months of discussion. And the company, which was founded by the Seuss's family, says, Dr. Seuss Enterprises listened and took feedback from our audiences, including teachers, academics, and specialists in the field as part of our review process. We then worked with a panel of experts, including educators, to review our catalog of titles. And according to the New York Post, Read Across America Day started by the National Educational Association in 1998 as a way to promote children's reading is even celebrated on the author's March 2nd birthday. Dr. Seuss, who I happen to share the same birthday with, as well, is actually part of the core of American young education systems. And this starts from a very early age. USA Today reported, in Biden's presidential proclamation, Biden noted that for many Americans, the path to literacy begins with story time in their school classroom. But unlike his two predecessors, former President Donald Trump and Barack Obama, Biden did not mention Dr. Seuss. This administration has focused too much, I think, on nitty-gritty picking out single lines from even a children's book, 
from a movie or maybe even from a play. And this is getting pretty ridiculous. It's actually starting to act like when Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, got offended that Winnie the Pooh, the honey-loving bear, is somehow a mockery of him. So guess what happened to the bear? They banned it in China. And the worst thing is, promoting Dr. Seuss is not about just him. It's actually about the youth education. And this event comes as controversy surrounding the apparent lack of diversity in Seuss's character selection. Now Ben Shapiro again with this great take. The emotional instability of a few is not a reason for our entire society to overthrow a culture that values freedom of speech, freedom of press, and individual responsibility. Anyone who surrenders to our cultural authoritarians is a damned coward. And at the core, this is why communism always leads to totalitarian failure. It's the fact that leaders are driven by emotional instability and their overwhelming negative desires and personal greed. The fact that now, as Ben Shapiro called it, digital book burning is in fact a new height of cancel culture. It's about canceling your children's education because everything is apparently racist nowadays. And when your kids worry more about in their life offending their peers than becoming the next Einstein, how far can our society evolve? Are we really just going forward or backwards? And it, the thing is, why were there books not, these books, the exact same books, not racist under Obama? And that's the question to ask. Now, Chalkboard Review, a teacher publication on Twitter, released some new versions of Dr. Seuss's books. I present to you Green New Deal and Ham. One fish, two fish, racist fish, woke fish. And one more. Oh, the racist you are. And the Young American Foundation also had a pretty good one, too. Horton hears a microaggression. But this is really just the left version of exercising total control. And check this out. In Canada, the province of Ontario has a region called Peel, and it's near Toronto, just to be clear. Anyways, the new guideline from the health department suggests that students who have been tested positive, or I think been exposed to the virus, must self-quarantine for 14 days. But that seems pretty normal now, right, given what we're, the state we're in. But hear this. The Toronto Sun reports, Peel Health has issued guidelines to parents instructing them to keep any children who have been sent home because of a classmate has uh, tested positive for the virus must isolate in a separate room from all other family members for 14 days. Isn't that crazy? This guideline, which has since been taken down because of what the Peel official calls as error due to leaving out important information, this guideline, which even applies to very small children, has gotten even experts shocked. Dr. Susan Richardson, a microbiologist and infectious disease physician, who is also a professor emerita at the University of Toronto, wrote in an email to the Toronto Sun. She says, this is cruel punishment for a child, especially for younger children, four to 10 years old. And shutting a child off from their parents and siblings for up to 14 days in this manner could produce significant and long-lasting emotional and psychological effects. You really think the health ex expert would have all of this figured out, right? And the handout distributed at the Peel Region's schools explains, if your child does not have any symptoms, the child must self-isolate, which means stay in a separate room, eat in a separate room, apart from others, and use a separate bathroom if possible. And the handout also says, if the child must leave their room, they should wear a mask and stay two meters apart from others. Any other child in the household must only be separated from siblings, but also stay home for 14 days. 
Ryan O'Connor, a lawyer from the Toronto area, says the apology from Peel Health is misleading. He says it claims that this was a provincial direction, but the order sent to the Peel parents specifically referred to Peel's self-isolation class order and the fine for breaching it, which is $5,000. And not only is this impossible in cases where the family's living condition cannot meet the uh, requirement for isolation, but in the case they can. How can you let a child be self-controlling their own sake for constantly keeping six feet apart from their siblings, but also stay in an isolated room? But I guess this didn't stop some parents from doing it. In this tweet, a mom kept her seven-year-old downstairs alone, who kept messaging her and saying, Mommy, I'm lonely. Another mother locked her 10-year-old in another room for isolation, while the child cried. Are these parents trusting science a little too much, maybe? Or are they just brainwashed to follow the order set by the Peel Health Department? And the Canadian Trudeau government has shifted the country of Canada pretty much very far left since taking office. And this is just another case of progressive left taking a massive control of every aspect of your life. And they want to even manage your household. So what really is the end goal of all of this? Well, they seemingly are okay to put children in detention and self-confinement and maybe even destroy their growth. Well, when Trump does it, it seems that's a bad thing. While also maybe burning children's books because it's deemed racist. All of this is the plan to subvert and destroy the next generation of American youth and the world. And it's the communist agenda towards accepting communism. It starts with the lack of educational direction, a lack of responsibility, a lack of emotional connection. And once that is all done, it's time to kick in the progressive education, which I call them brainwashing. But it's inevitable in terms of becoming a communism education because society, education, and the creation of the next generation of human beings was supposed to be this wonderful and hopeful thing, but has now become a despair. And it's also an effort to prevent the corruption of the progressive movement that has been taken away as well. I recommend you watch the episode we just released on communism in the US, specifically the second episode which deals with education and family on a greater scale. I'll link the video here in the description, as well as I'll link it here. In our third topic today, although we have already covered this in our last episode, but just after the episode aired, a third accuser of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo surfaced, with a photo showing Cuomo grabbing this girl's face. Anna Ruch, 33 years old, told the New York Times late Monday that she and the governor met at a wedding in September of 2019, where he made unwanted advances towards her. She alleged that he placed his hands on her bare lower back, called her aggressive when she promptly removed it, and then put his hands on her face and asked if he could kiss her. Roach told the New York Times, I was so confused and shocked and embarrassed, and I turned my head away and didn't have words at that moment. Roots' account follows allegations from two of the Cuomo's former aides in recent days. Both Lindsey Boylan and Charlotte Bennett, another former aide to the governor, have both accused Cuomo of sexual harassment. And on Monday night, Andrew Cuomo's brother, Chris Cuomo, who hosted the Cuomo primetime on CNN, announced that he will not be covering his brother's scandal. This is after he acknowledged it. And this is mostly due to a conflict of interest as their brothers. And Chris further clarified that CNN will continue to cover the story, just not himself. Sounds kind of decent, right? Well, this was Chris Cuomo having a nice conversation with his brother last year. And doesn't like seem to be the conflict of interest they were talking about. And Chris Cuomo said Monday that he is aware of the sexual harassment claims. 
Chris had his brother on his show multiple times actually in the spring of 2020. The brothers had at one point discussed the governor's COVID swab test, during which Chris Cuomo held up a giant swab while Andrew Cuomo laughed. So I think the hypocrisy is there really and it's really apparent. But I mentioned in the last episode, I think this is about kicking off a scapegoat to get almost the, all of the attention away from the rest of the Democratic Party. And they're going to use the Cuomo scandal to cover for the rest of their failures. As well, neither Kamala Harris or Biden has yet to discuss the scandal or provide a statement. Cuomo has been seen in a photo posted by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in 2015, when both were attending a seminar on sexual assault on college campuses. Uh, the irony. In our last topic tonight, some updates on China and Hong Kong. The United States, United Kingdom, and European Union, and Taiwan have voiced their concern for the Hong Kong government's subversion charges directed at 47 pro-democracy activists under the pro-Beijing national security law on Sunday. According to the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who took on Twitter late Sunday night to condemn the detentions and the charges against the activist, he says, freedom of expression should not be a crime. The subversion charge was in connection to participation in an unofficial primary vote held by the Hong Kong's pan-democracy camp in July last year, ahead of the Legislative Council called LECO uh, election in September of 2020. The objective behind the vote was for the camp to field the most promising candidates to run for legislative office, ultimately with the goal to secure a majority or more than 35 seats in the legislative cooperation. And over 600,000 Hong Kongers cast ballots in the primary vote, which were held on July 11th and July 12th of last year. The LECO elections initially scheduled for September 6th last year were eventually postponed by the Hong Kong leader, Carrie Lam at the time citing the local surge in the CCP virus infections. Among those charged were former lawmakers Claudia Mo, Liang Wa Kong, and Alvin Yang, District Counselor Jimmy Sham, Tiffany Young, and Benny Tai, former Hong Kong University law professor and organizer of the primary election. They were detained overnight and are scheduled to appear at the West Kowloon Magistrates Court on Monday. On Sunday, pro-democracy organization Civil Human Rights Front issued a statement on Facebook urging Hong Kongers to queue up for the court hearing the next day to support the 47 activists. Representative Scott Perry said Sunday that the Biden administration must designate the CCP a transnational criminal organization to allow Americans to understand the regime's vision for not only China, but also the United States. The lawmaker told the Epoch Times and CPAC, we need to designate them as that which recognizes who and what are they are and we're making a differentiation between the people of China and the Communist Party of China. Perry in October 2020 had introduced a bill to designate the CCP as such and to eliminate sovereign immunity for the Chinese officials, which would allow them to be tried in U.S. court for criminal prosecution. Perry introduced the legislation with representatives Tim Burchette and Scott Desjardins last year, and that would add the CCP to the department's justices top international criminal organization target, and that it seeks to identify and eliminate international criminal organizations that pose the gravest threat to the U.S. national interests. And I highly doubt that the Biden administration would do so given their signs of softness in China. But Florida is fighting back. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has unveiled sweeping legislations aimed at confronting malign foreign influence, particularly with the CCP. 
In a press conference, the governor says, over the last decade, the Communist Party of China has been meticulous and deliberate in their economic infiltration across the globe. He added, the Chinese Communist Party has made it an omission of their global expansion of power to steal intellectual property from our businesses, our government, and our academic institutions, all the while further fueling their global objectives. And we need to take action. We stand firm against the CCP and foreign influence and interference in American research, education, and public affairs. On Monday, Florida Representative Matt Gaze took to Twitter to thank the governor for his effort. And according to DeSantis, state agencies, state universities, public schools, and local governments must never use tax dollars to establish language and cultural programs with foreign governments, and those that place the interest of those governments ahead of our own interest. He specifically named Beijing-funded Confucius Institutes as an example and applauded the Trump administration for having taken the critical steps to limit the spread of the schools in the United States. As of February 17th, no Confucius Institutes have been found in any of Florida's campuses. But according to an education advocacy group, National Association of Scholars, there still exist around 55 Confucius Institutes in the United States, including three that are scheduled to close later this year. And that is it for tonight. Thanks so much for watching this episode. Again, thanks for your continued support of Beyond the Noise. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. See you tomorrow.